We are embarking on our second week of three in this series on generosity. And um, I won't take as much time as I did last week to just kind of set the, set the mood in the room because I think by now you understand that this is not necessarily who I want to be portrayed in uh, to be, and that is somebody who just is like wanting to talk about money all the time. Um, I promise you that there's this level of discomfort for me, and I hope there's a level of discomfort for you as well because that way both of us are sharing in this moment. Um, But I think that there is so much in Scripture about money that we can't not talk about it. Because, I mean, so so, (laughs) so we're going to talk today about living generously. Um, And just this frame of mind that I think needs to be changed to become who God wants us to be. (laughs) Because we like stuff. I mean, I like stuff. I think Amazon Prime has done more to hurt my family. Uh, I've gotten much better at it, but I, so, so here's how bad it is. Yesterday, I was typing on my computer, and I was going to type Amazing Grace. Amazing auto-corrected to Amazon. I am not kidding you. And I had to go back and be like, no, unlearn that. I was talking about amazing, but that is, that's, I, I guess it just knows me. But Amazon Prime is dangerous. But it starts when we're little kids, right? We don't have to teach a kid to say mine, right? They just, it's in us to be that selfish. From the beginning, it's in us. Money and things are the number one competitor for your heart. We need to talk about this. And I want to be your friend, but I also want to be your pastor. And I want to help show you what I'm seeing in Scripture about this idea of living a generous life, living abundantly. And I'm not making promises that if you do this, you're going to be rich, and I don't want to be perceived as that guy that if you, you know, give here, then God isn't obligated just to give over here and just not. I can't figure God out like that. He's just God, and he owns it all. And I just want to be good with what he's given for me to steward. But the Bible mentions the topic of money or possessions 2,000 plus times. And yet it's like this unspoken topic we're not supposed to talk about. But here's the truth. You can't separate faith and finances. Like you can't get all emotional and be like, I just love Jesus. And I just, I just feel his presence and then just not let him have anything to do with your checkbook. Like, it's just all part of it. It's like it, faith and finances go together. I mean, it is, it is, it's evident based on what you do with your finances and with your possessions where your love is. Last week, we, we said it's impossible not to talk about the two together because it is such an integral part of the spiritual life. Your attitude towards money translates to every other area of your life. And I want to make sure we understand that when we talk about generosity, specifically we're talking about finances or what you might call your treasure, but there's also generosity with your time. And I think we're accountable for that. And I think there's also generosity with your talents. So time, treasure, and talents. 
I think God owns it all, and we owe God something there, right? So I think all of that is kind of part of this same conversation. But specifically, when we're talking about generosity in this series, we're really focusing on what we do with what God has given to us in the area of finances. So last week we said that scarcity is a cycle. So it's like it's this wheel that we have a hard time getting off of, that God supplies and then we just consume it all. And then we have a lack because we're consuming it all, and then we fear. And that's not what God was modeling for us in Scripture, that we just consume everything we're given, and then we end up being selfish with it all and being scared because we don't have enough. Scarcity says this. Scarcity says there's just never enough. I can't do it all. And we get frustrated because there's never enough. The Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ while here on earth. And each one of the men who wrote each one of the Gospels had the same experiences but looked at them from very different ways. The exception would be Luke. He heard most everything secondhand. Luke happened to be the most educated. Mark was probably the most uneducated. Scholars say that Mark wrote the book of Mark probably about a fourth grade level. So there's hope for me. So you have these four accounts. There's only two miracles that took place in the life of Christ or during his ministry that is recorded in every gospel. That was his resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. One of my favorite stories. And we're going to kind of delve into that just a little bit this morning as we talk about this difference between scarcity and generosity. So if you have your Bibles, it was hard for me to choose which, which gospel to go with because they all have, have unique takes on this miracle. But we're going to go with the gospel of John, then I'll mention Mark, maybe even Matthew a little bit later. John chapter 6, reading verses 5 through 9 is where we're going to kind of stop while we're talking about scarcity here to give one, one way to look at this. But in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, it says this, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes... And saw a great company come unto him. He said unto Philip, puts him on the spot here, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this is such a clever little statement. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Don't you love the personality of Jesus here? And then so Philip answers him. Philip answered him and said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them should take a little. What Philip is reasoning is, he said, he said God, it's going, to take, it's going to take a half a year's wages to get enough food for everyone just to maybe have a bite. I mean, there's, there's no way to predict this. Like, how much food are we going to need? Mr. Practical. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, and then he has to throw this in, but what are they among so many? Like, I don't even know if it's worth bringing up. Scarcity mindset. Because the disciples were thinking, we have to buy our way out of this problem. But Jesus was thinking, we need to give our way out of this problem. Jesus was viewing the situation through a very different lens than his disciples. 
Philip is saying, we got nothing, Jesus, all right? You, you, we've been with you. You know we aren't, like, we don't have a side job, right? We got nothing. Pockets are empty. Even if we had money, it would take about a half a year's wages just to buy enough food for everyone to have a little bit. Send them away and let them go eat and then come back. But that wasn't the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus was, I want to take care of these people. What do you got? How can we take care of this need? Well, there's a lad here, but what are they among so many? So here's the question that scarcity asks. Scarcity asks, what can I afford? Do you see that here? So scarcity says, we don't ever have enough. Scarcity asks, okay, let me, let me see what I can afford here. So that's Peter. That's, that, I'm sorry, sorry that's, that's Philip. So Philip's like, all right, let me, let me, let me do the calculations to see how much we're going to have to put out here to make this problem go away. Jesus is asking us to do something unreasonable. Feed all of these people. So what's it going to take? What can I afford to give? It's laughable how little they were able to produce for such a great need. But it is the very definition of scarcity. If you go to your dictionary and look up the word scarcity, it says something like this, an insufficient quantity compared to demand. Does that feel like your month at the end of paying all your bills? Does anybody else have that notification service? Like when you drop below a certain balance, you get a text message saying, hey, take it easy. Right? Take it easy. It's a little Nacho Libre reference there. Take it easy. So you have like more month left at the end of your money, right? What can I afford to give? That's where many of us live is this scarcity mindset. But there's also this generosity cycle. And generosity, whereas whereas scarcity said there is never enough, generosity says there is more than enough. John chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, we're going to continue this story. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, isn't that amazing? They weren't just kind of okay with it. They were filled. He said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above them that had eaten. What a miracle. Generosity asks... What do I have? Scarcity asks, what can I afford? Generosity looks around and says, well, I got, I got five loaves of bread here and a couple fish. What do I have that I can contribute to the need? Jesus has a very different economy than you and I. And following Jesus completely redefines what can be done with just a little bit. And Jesus has no interest in a scarcity mindset. 
I believe Jesus wants us to live a generous life. Now, I, let, me, let me just make this statement. I believe there is faith and there is foolishness. The, heart, the, the problem I have, the hard time I have is, is drawing the line. Like where, where am I trusting God and then where am I just being foolish? I don't know. I'm saying I have a hard time with that. Because I've, I, listen, I've, I've, <laughs> I've raised my hand before. Yep, we're going to give this much money for this event. And man, the money just comes in, boom. And then the next year I did the same thing. And it was a horrible mistake. The first year was like God said, here you go. Second year was like crickets. Literally, I like worked a part-time job and worked and got the money that I promised I was going to give, right? I mean, that's some, I don't know where faith and fool, I don't know where the line is. But I love that tension there that we're even like going there like, I don't know what, what it needs to look like. But I know this, that Jesus promised us a different economy. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I know that means a lot of stuff, right? But the idea here is this life that we're supposed to live. And I don't think that this is just talking about like money, all right? But I'm just saying it's this attitude shift that we are not just supposed to live a life that makes us happy, that fills us up. That word abundant there has this idea of overflowing Like, I have got such a great life, and God has been so good to me that it overflows into the lives of those around me. Like like the word superfluous, right? It's like, it is so much that I can't contain it all. It overflows to those around me. That's the abundant life we're supposed to live. Our life should not look like we're running on empty, sputtering down the road, living on fumes, hoping we make it to the gas station. We're supposed to be living this abundant life. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but for me it looks a lot like generosity. And I understand you need to balance a checkbook, and I understand you need to be good with your money, and I'm a huge Dave Ramsey fan. And there's, there are principles that we live by financially. But my concern is that we're not even considering what God has to say about our finances because it's like we we live our faith over here and we treat our finances completely different than any other part of our relationship with God. And I think he wants to say so. I think he's earned the right to earn our trust about what we do with our finances because everything about God uh, is excessive and extravagant, and more than enough. But we live like we're the child of a pauper when we're the child of a king. And it ought to change how we look at life, and it ought to change how we treat others, and it ought to change our level of generosity. Here's the thing. Much of following Jesus is very counterintuitive. What do you mean? Okay, let me give you an example. Jesus said if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. Okay? He said that I want you to 
to pray for those that want to hurt you. I want you to love your enemies, right? That doesn't seem like it makes much sense. I want you to do good to those that hate you. I want you to bless those who want to curse you. Jesus said that the greatest of you will be the servant of all. Jesus kind of flipped everything. And so everything about following him seems to be counterintuitive. And so this area of generosity, this life that he wants us to live, this abundance that we're supposed to live, is not about how much money can you save. It's not about, it's not about all you, it's not about grabbing everything and just, and just trying to, to fill your barns up. It's about living abundant life that you can give away. Proverbs 11 says this. Talk about counterintuitive. Verses 24 and 25 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Huh. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Do you see the principle? I'm I'm giving out and then I'm receiving more than I gave out. It's like this sowing and reaping principle. So here's some lessons I would like us to learn from this incredible story, the lad's lunch. First of all, this excites me, we give from what we have. So I don't know what you have. But the exciting thing to me is that most of the time, God is not asking you to manufacture something. He is asking, what do you have that I can use? Now, this goes more than just the checkbook, I think, but he's wanting to use what you've already been given. So I don't know where, where you are in this, but it's okay, so... so what is it that God has given you? He owns it all, right? He, he, he is the one who provided everything that you have. We are managers of what he has given to us to manage. And he is asking from us what we already have. So he's not asking you to go out and manufacture something to solve the problem. He's asking you to give of what you already have been given. That's doable. That's doable. Now, I will say that, as I mentioned earlier, there have been times in my life when I felt like God wanted me to give an amount of money that I did not have. And I committed to it. And One time the money came in and I gave it. The other time I had to go work for it and I gave it. But I felt like that was what God wanted me to do. But I would say most of the time, God's going to ask you to give only out of what you already have. And that's encouraging to me. The next lesson that I see here is that Jesus blessed or blesses what is given. Now this is, and I don't want to be guilty of misinterpreting Scripture, specifically a particular word that we're going to talk about here. So do your own study, do your own research. But just make me feel good about it right now. So Mark chapter 6, verse 41 says this. It says, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, this is Jesus, he looked up to heaven and blessed 
and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all. Now, you and I would read this casually and say, well, he just looked up to heaven and he, he prayed and thanked God for the food they were about to eat, like many of us do before we eat a meal. And so this word blessed is actually interpreted in John just thanked. But the word blessed is such a much bigger word than that. And that's, this is where I know that I'm kind of like, maybe, maybe for you Bible scholars out there, maybe I'm, maybe I'm stretching this a little bit, but, but be kind. All right? So the word blessed means three things. The word blessed means to thank. All right? I'm just thanking you. I am blessing you for this. I'm being, I'm being thankful. But the word also means consecrated for God's use. Think about that for this, what, what's happening here. So, so could Jesus have just been saying, I thank you for this food? Yes, that, I mean, and that could be it, and that's a wonderful lesson for us to learn. But how cool would it be? And usually when I get this excited, it's not true. But how cool would it be if what God was, what, what Jesus was doing here was like consecrating these loaves and these fish for the work of God. I kind of think that's what he's doing here, right? I'm, I am blessing this. I am consecrating this food given by the lad for God's use. It also means this, to cause to prosper. Now, that's really cool. But I don't know that that's what it means. But... If that's what it means, and we're going to presume that I'm right, then that means that what has been given by the lad is now in the hands of Jesus, and he looks to God. Not only is he giving thanks, not only is he consecrating this food for the work of God, but he is about to cause this to prosper. I thought you'd be a lot more excited than that. So, like, here's where we're going with this little nugget of truth. So who better to bless what we give? Right? Yeah, okay. So I've been very careful last week and this week and even the week before that to be very careful about not including a lot of Old Testament verses when it comes to money and giving. Because I know that there is this, there's this line that people like to draw that says, well, all of those principles about giving and tithing were all about the Old Testament. So we're going to use an Old Testament verse, okay? Because I think it shows us the character of our God. Whether you believe in tithing, whether you believe that that is a principle for the New Testament or not, as I said last week, I would love it if you don't and you just are going to go off of how Jesus always upgrades everything and Jesus raises the bar. And if you believe that the, that the Old Testament was all about tithing and that the New Testament isn't, that means you're telling me that you think it's more than that, which I'm cool with. Okay? But let's just, let's just erase this, this, this super spirituality that we don't want to say anything in the Old Testament is relevant to giving because it is, because it shows us the character of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this. This is just blow you out of the water kind of truth. 
in regards to the character of God, bring you all the tithes into the storehouses, that there may be meat in my house, and look at what God is telling the people of Israel, and prove me now herewith. I dare you. Jesus is daring you to put him to the test in the area of your finances. He told the people of Israel, you bring 10% of what you got into God's house, and you prove me. He says this, <laughs> if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a what? A blessing. Whether that is a thank you, set apart for God's use, or causing to prosper. But I want to pour out a blessing on you. Prove me. See if I won't. You can't outgive God. Prove me. Hey, hey. If you want to replace the word tithe with a bigger number, I'm cool with that. I think that's the I think that's the baseline. And anything you do above that's wonderful. But God is not a stingy God. We are his children. He's the king of kings. And he is encouraging you to prove him in the area of finances. If you feel stuck in your faith journey, and you're like, you know what, it's just the same old, same old every day, I just don't feel like I'm growing in Christ, and you're not currently giving on a regular basis, and, this is, and, and you don't feel like you're where you need to be in your finances with God, can I just encourage you to take the next three months and prove God? Start there. Start with 10%. And just say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I want to prove you. Now, if you're looking for like, well, if I give 10%, then God's just going to give me a whole bunch of money. That might happen. That may not happen. God may bless you in other ways. I just know that it's easier for me to live on 90% with God than 100% of it without his help. And if he's willing to put himself to the test and say, you prove me. And that was back in the Old Testament before grace showed up. I mean, we know grace was there. But we live that way now. And it just, to me, it's exciting to live where we are right now and to start at that level. The third thing here, and then we're done. God multiplies when it's given away. Mark chapter 6, verse 41, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all. <laughs> the miracle happened when the food was given away. So how did all this go down, right? So Jesus pray, he lifts up the, the food and he, and he blesses it and he, he thanks God for it or whatever happened there and, and God makes this miracle happen. Did two semi-tractor trailer loads of food pull up on the scene and just start distributing and unloading the pallet? No. 
He literally took the five loaves and broke them up into 12 different baskets. That, that really hurts my mathematical head, trying to divide five into 12. Right? I don't know what the numbers are there. I can't even figure what the common denominator would be. So he breaks up the loaves and the fish, and he puts it in the 12 baskets. When did the miracle happen? Right? Think about this. So the disciples leave the presence of Christ, right? And they go walk into this group over here. And he's got his basket. He looks in the basket, and there's like, what, maybe a half a loaf? Maybe the tail? A part of the fish? I don't know. So he's like, all right, here you go. And there's more in there. He hands it up. There's more in there. And then you, you got to know, he's trying to find out where it's coming from. So like he hands it out. When is it appearing in the basket? Right? The miracle is happening as it's being distributed. I don't know. When did the miracle happen? As it was given away. So the blessing occurred. God multiplied what was given when it was given away. Now that's what's exciting here. Because I don't know what you got to give, and I don't know what God is asking you to give, but I know this, something incredible happens when it is given. Not when you think about it, not when you think you shoulda, not when you do the math in your head, but when you give it away. I mean, enough food for 5,000 men plus their wives and children, maybe 20,000, I don't know, came from five loaves and it was just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied as it was given away. The miracle happened the moment the food was given away. And, and the Bible says that they collected 12 baskets, way more than the original amount. I wish it would have recorded where that food went. Like maybe the disciples just put it in their backpack. There was 12 of them, right? They just had food for another week. I don't know. What I like to think is that the little boy goes home and the disciples are carrying 12 baskets with him. Here you go, mama. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe they took them into town and gave them to people who were, who were in need. I don't know what that looked like, but I am grateful for this story that teaches us so much about generosity. And let me just wrap up with this. It's a great story. One of my favorite in the Bible. But I want to just see what prompted the miracle. What prompted the miracle was Jesus' incredible heart of compassion. So all the people are gathered here, and the Bible says that he looked out. I didn't put up on the screen, but it says this. He saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. And he saw a physical need, and he wanted to meet that physical need. And here's the difference. A scarcity mindset is only concerned with myself. I can't make that happen because I only have this much. I cannot afford it. And so it's this, it's this selfish mindset. Jesus was obsessed and preoccupied with everybody but himself. You got to know he was hungry too. And he looks out on the multitude and he wants to meet their physical need. 
That's what giving does. Giving makes us like Jesus. Because now you're not as concerned about yourself as you are about those that Jesus loves. Generosity, as we learned last week, is the antidote for materialism. It's the death of selfishness. Because giving or generosity is a heart issue, not a money issue. And I believe this, if we get our heart right, then it'll affect what we do with our finances. Now, here's the exciting thing. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you've been given. But you have the opportunity as a steward of what God has given you, as the manager of all of God's possessions that are in your control, to respond correctly and to meet the needs that are in front of you. And I don't know what that is, but God wants you to prove him. And I would take the next 90 days and grow your faith and say, I'm just going to see what God does with this and make it a matter of prayer and take another step on your faith journey in the area of generosity and live abundantly, live generously. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story in Scripture and the truth that it gives us about your heart and using what we have to meet the needs that you see and help us to grow our faith by trusting you more in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.